Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. Welcome back to the Determined Truth Podcast. Um, I'm Rob Dalrymple and I'm here with Vinny Angelo. Vinny, how are you doing tonight? Good. How's it going, Rob? I'm you can't well, say tonight. Thanks. Someone might be listening to this at like 6 a.m. while running. Uh, yeah, we, I gave away what time we're, we're recording this. But yeah, uh, well, so Vinny, we want to look. Though. Hang on. No, no, no. How hot is it for you right now? Because it is nighttime. It, all right. So <laughs> I would be outside, but it's still 102. At, so what, 930 uh, at night. If we do two episodes tonight, I'll go outside for the second episode. Um, just because my daughter will probably want to go in her room and go to sleep. And dad's quiet. And, and, and the office that I'm in has no door. So um there's no way to, to silence this voice. And uh, everyone always tells me how loud my mouth is and all that yeah. good stuff. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. Okay. Mesa, Arizona is hot. Then is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, it is, but it's a dry heat. So it's okay. Oh yeah. So it matters. Yeah, exactly. That's what matters. <laughs> Whatever. So um, we want to be looking at our first series of, of um, episodes here, Vinny at the book of revelation. Obviously that's kind of been my cup of tea for a long time anyways. And I know you've been drawn into it through our relationship. Um, and uh, we've got some exciting episodes coming up. We've got some interviews that we're going to be doing with some uh, top scholars and, uh, and church uh, leaders and things like that as well. But um, I want us to look just kind of at the topic of the book of Revelation and kind of, kind of go from there. So, so if we were, let me actually begin with a question here, Vinny, uh, for you. The people in your community, mm-hmm. right? and I know, and if you were with us on the Lapis episode, ben, uh, Vinny's at a, at a Baptist church, mm-hmm. um, uh, Reformed Baptist, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, which because there's a thousand Baptist denominations. So yes, it does exactly. actually make a difference <laughs> when you specify that. Um, what would you say would be a typical understanding of the average person in your congregation? Yeah, the, of the average, book of Revelation? Yeah, the average person by far understands it in the late 20th century popular model, which yeah. is uh, everything that's been influenced by the Left Behind series and, and the popular notions of this is describing the end of the world in futuristic kind of ways. Uh, you you I oftentimes hear statements like, you know, John just saw things and had no clue what it was. And so he wrote it down the way he did, but really it was, you know, they weren't horses. They were, they were army tanks. So he just didn't know what that is. So he wrote up as horses or, you know, he didn't know what a a, a Apache helicopter was. So he wrote them down as, uh, you know, locusts. And so that's, it's very much uh, an understanding that it's something, revelation is something that's looking forward, nothing that would have been relevant to the original context. And, uh, most of our folks would assume that we have a better time understanding it or an easier time understanding it than the original audience uh, would. Yeah, and this is exactly the, the world that I grew up in as well. It's, it, it's sad. So one of the things I would say when it comes to understanding the book of Revelation, of course, is the fact that we have this assumption that, that oh, John was speaking to some future generation. And when we say that, uh, we, we always say, oh, and which, which must be ours, right? It, mm-hmm. We just happen to be the generation that, that, that are living in, in these times. And, and of course, the way I was raised, which I think you're, you're expanding as well, mm-hmm. was that we are that generation because we can take the book literally, right? Yep. So, oh, that this, you know, the heavens uh, rolled up like a scroll. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nuclear warfare. That, and so John didn't know what he was describing, but he happened to be describing n- nuclear warfare. And so it's easy for us. Uh, to take it literally and clearly supporting that that's the way to, to, way, to, to way to interpret the book. And, and the first thing I would say about that, Vinny, is that this is true about every book in the scriptures, not just the book of Revelation. Uh, and that is that we have to understand the, the text itself in light of its original context. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, we take Paul and we go, okay, well, Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. What's happening in Corinth? Who's Corinth? Where's Corinth? Where's Paul at in his life? What's the situation behind this? And, and okay, now we begin to understand the book of Corinthians, and then we can apply it to mm -hmm. our, our modern day, right? Mm -hmm. But for some odd reason with the book of Revelation, we don't do that. Mm -hmm. We simply go, oh, John had some vision of some uh, uh, radical thing, and he's, and he's expanding some future uh, uh, thing that he had no idea what it even meant. And my response would be, if John didn't know what it meant, and if his readers didn't know what it meant, then how can they do what it says? And, and yet the book of Revelation has, begins with, Blessed are those who, you know, right, chapter one, verse three, blessed are those who read it who, and who heed the things that are written in it. Um, and so with, throughout the book, you see all these indications of John saying, hey, look, if you have wisdom, calculate the number of the beast because you know what I'm talking about. Um, and so uh, that, that this is a, a tragedy well, when we take this understanding um, to the book of Revelation and fail to take it out of its, out of, and take it out of its original context. Yeah, and I know that, like as someone who was fortunate to study under you for a number of years before I, I became, you know, vocational in ministry. Um, I, I definitely uh, saw your passion and gleaned from you the idea that you guys like you and I were not in, and, you know, I, I'm cut from your mold in the sense, we're not merely teaching the Bible when we're in the church we're also teaching people how to read the Bible. Yes, and, yes. And, that's, and that's a passion for us, right? Right, and, yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I'm teaching a, a, a biblical interpretation class right now. And, and the last week of the class is when we go through how to read apocalyptic literature. <laughs> okay. and, and, and I save it specifically because I want to make sure I get through Old Testament stuff, like what is the, you know, how do you read the prophets? All those things build on, on Revelation, right? You, you need to understand the Old Testament before you get to Revelation. But I think one of the important things that um, I always say to my, my classes is anytime I'm teaching a class, whether it's uh, biblical interpretation or going through the gospel of John or Daniel or Colossians or whatever it is, I'm always teaching in a way that I literally imagine that that guy is standing next to me. And and because I want to be faithful to the text and I want to be able to look to that guy and say, okay, is this what you meant? And I'm not going to get it right all the time, but that's what I'm always going after. I always have that respect for those guys. Um, and, and I, when we don't keep that reverence uh, towards those men that we would say God used to write these things, that's when I think you could also be a little more loose with it and kind of make it mean what you want it to mean. Not that there aren't, you know, God fearing people who might have a, you know, might propagate that uh, popular interpretation. And so it's, right. it's, we're not, we're not judging them in that regard. Um, I just think it is an aspect that we need to keep in mind. Like if, if I were to teach through Romans, something controversial, like Romans eight, nine, 10, 11, like, I want to make sure that I'm always thinking, what, Paul, would you agree with this? And, and um, are we always going after that? And I think that's, gosh, is there any more book more relevant than that, than the book of revelation, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and again, the book, one of the things I say about that is there's nothing in the book of revelation that's not taught somewhere else in the yeah. scriptures also. So it's not like this is some unique thing that's only taught in the book of Revelation. I mean, the only possible exception you can make of that is Revelation 20 and the reference to the millennium, mm -hmm. right? Now, Revelation 20 is the only time that we have reference to a thousand year period of time. I, however, and we'll do this in another episode, would contend that the millennium is taught elsewhere in the New Testament. It's just never described as a thousand year period of time. Mm -hmm. So the concepts, the idea, the significance of it. Um, so... Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it, that Re Revelation, you know, Richard Balcom wrote a book that's probably not relevant for the popular world and, and many of those listening, but he titled his book uh, on the book of Revelation, The Climax of Prophecy. 
And, and that's very good description. The book of Revelation is this climax of everything in the biblical text from Genesis through the book of Revelation. Um, and, and it puts it, and it's, it's for the church today to say, hey, this is what you need to know, as much as it was, of course, for the church in the first century. So let me ask you that then, because you know, if, if you've only dropped into this part of the podcast and nothing else, you might be assuming that Vinny and Rob are saying that revelation only is something for the past. Right. Uh, you know, and, and there, there is a lot of it that describes the end of the world. And, and when we get into what apocalyptic literature is, we might, you know, uh, uh, unveil that a little bit because you plan words there, but um, there is an aspect of revelation that does describe a second coming and a descent of a new Jerusalem and those sorts of things. So is, is there a future element of it or is it all something that's happened in the past? No, there is a future element without question, right? So, um, and I usually don't get into the different schools of interpretation, but there is a school of interpretation, obviously, that says it's only future. That's kind of what we talked about, uh, kind of our backgrounds. And many of the people in your congregation in particular, it's only about the future. There's a school of interpretation that says it's only about the past. And that school of interpretation usually says, oh, it was all fulfilled in AD 70 with the Romans, et cetera. It's all, uh, and the answer is no. Uh, just like the book of 1 Corinthians was written to, by Paul to the patrician Corinth, but it has abiding significance for us, right? Um, a great example of that actually is for, uh, 2 Timothy, a clearly personal letter of Paul to Timothy. It mentions his mother and his grandmother, you know, Lois and Eunice by name. And every single time throughout the entire book of 2 Timothy, the word you is singular. Mm -hmm. Paul is speaking to Timothy. You know the scriptures that you learned from a childhood, right? But the very last word in, the book, in 2 Timothy uh, is grace uh, be to you, and the word you is plural. Mm -hmm. And so you, you see, oh, Paul really realizes, okay, other people are going to read this. So it, was, it had this relevance to then, but it has this, as well as the relevance to now. So also the book of Revelation has this relevance then and has this immediate context of the first century, most likely late first century world of John writing to these seven churches. But clearly it had an, an, a, a larger audience in mind, not only that, that they know that there were more than just seven churches reading it then, but that this would be abiding for churches throughout, throughout history. And so that would be significant in a couple of different ways. One would be um, the seven letters to the seven churches uh, each one of the letters says, and that, and all the churches will know, mm -hmm. right? Uh, or listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. So every one of the seven letters ends with that phrase. This is what the Spirit says to the churches, even though that was a letter to the church in Philippi or the church, uh, church in Philippi, the church in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. right? Or the church in Ephesus. Uh, so you, you realize even the seven letters themselves had, had this larger audience in mind. Then you add the fact that there's seven churches indicating the fact that, that they represent all of Christendom. And you, okay, this has a larger, a larger in mind. Uh, and then the fact that, that, like what you said, it, it clearly describes the second coming of Jesus, which has not happened yet. Uh, it describes the, the consummation of all things when there's no longer any mourning or crying or pain or death. That hasn't happened yet. So there is a future element of that. And the future element of that is important because one of the an apocalyptic literature does, and we're going to talk about apocalyptic literature and maybe our next session or session after that in more detail, because that's extremely important. One of the things that it does is it says, you need to endure now and hang in there now because your suffering won't last long, and here's your reward at the end of the day. Reward at the end of the day, right? You get to eat from the tree of life in the seven letters, or uh, Christ will come victorious conqueror and, and bring his the consummation of his kingdom. Is 
what gives us hope in the now, um, right? I mean, see, some, some Christians go, oh, we have hope in the now because, you know, we have prosperity and, you know, it's like, no, what we're promised in the now is suffering. What we're promised in the now is take up your cross and follow me. But we're also promised in the now that there is, you know, as Paul says in, in, in 13, the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, uh, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it, there is this future element to it also. But that future element is not to give you information about the when, but to give you hope in the present. And so in something like what you alluded to in verse three, where there's a blessing for people who read it, uh, it's, it's, it, you know, it, it's in our translations who reads, uh, aloud, right. Which isn't yeah. in the original, but it, that's, that's the way you, in the, in the Greek it's, it's, that's supplied because we all read to ourselves now. Right. But, um, it's, it's that person in the congregation who's reading it to the whole congregation. And then everyone who's obeying that thing, right. There, there's something significant, not only for that person back in that, in that original audience, but would you say that's something that carries on then for the life of the church and for the, the Christian community to sustain this book? Exactly. And, and in fact, you know, when I was um, younger and, and, and reading the book of Revelation, you know, part of my story is, is that uh, uh, everything was literal. Uh, I was describing nuclear warfare, how Lindsay told me so, um, and all that. And I, and I was expecting all these things to happen. But when I read the book of Revelation itself, as I was, as I was, and I wasn't studying Revelation to study Revelation, I was studying Revelation more because I was looking at it in the way that Hal Lindsey or Grant Jeffries and all these guys told me to, to, to look at it. But you still get stuck in Revelation chapter one, verse three. Blessed is the one, the Greek actually says it's singular, the one who reads, which is that what you're saying, that there's somebody reading it out loud because not everybody has a copy of scroll. And, you know, hey, pull out your scrolls. It didn't, didn't happen. Yeah. So uh, one person reads. And then it says, blessed are the one who reads and those who hear and those who heed the things that are written in it for the time is near. And I thought, began thinking, well, how can they be blessed for doing what it says when they have no idea what it meant? In fact, John, as you know, John didn't even know what it meant. And this problem just struck me and I didn't know what to do with it for a long time, but it clearly says that those who read it, which included John's readers, will be blessed if they do what it says and that made no sense to me. How could they do what it says when they didn't know what it meant? Hmm. Okay. What do you do? And I'm just asking this on the fly. At, at the end of that sentence, it's it, uh, it's the blessed of the person who uh, hears and who keeps what is written in it for the time is near. Hmm. Like, even a phrase like that, what do, what do we do with that? Right. So that becomes a problem. So, so if you go to these different schools of interpretation, right? Uh, that one school that says everything was fulfilled in the, in the first century. Uh, they, they're taking that statement very literally, right? The time is near. It must be near when John said it, and therefore has to have happened within the lifetime of John or shortly after his death. Therefore, everything's been fulfilled in the past. The school that, that, that you and I have become, that I grew up in, that you're still kind of immersed in in your church audience, uh, that says, oh, it's about the future. Uh, they're going to take that statement that the time is near as saying, well, Oh, and they're going to kind of read it in light of Mark 13 or Matthew 24, and where it says mm -hmm. uh, that when these things begin to happen, uh, then this generation will not pass away. Now, I added to that, right? Because it doesn't say it that way. Um, and, and I think we'll get into this some other time, but Mark 13 and Matthew 24 don't fit here, mm -hmm. right? So it, it has nothing to do with this last generation. And when the last generation happens, it'll, it'll happen within a 40-year time, time span. Um, if you look at the text, and this actually be a, a little bit of a complex exercise, 
Um, what you'll notice is that John is actually quoting the book of Daniel. He's quoting Daniel 2, um, and it's, it's hard, and he's quoting the Greek version of Daniel 2. Um, and the Greek, and, and Daniel 2 is a vision of Nebuchadnezzar. By the way, I'm doing a class. By the time this, this podcast airs, I will have already done a session on this. But I'm doing a Wednesday night Bible study on Zoom. Um, and if anyone wants to email me and get into these Bible studies, that, that they can. Uh, and, and we're doing Daniel 2 this Wednesday night. And Daniel 2 is a dream of Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and Daniel's told to interpret it. And Daniel says, okay, here's your dream. Remember, remember he's going to kill all the people, all the, all the, all the astrologers, because they couldn't tell the king what the dream was and its interpretation. And Daniel says, I can tell you what the dream is, and I'll tell you what its interpretation is. All right, the dream is you saw this great statue that was made of four different parts. Um, and the first part is the head of gold, and after that's you, O oh great king. And like that's, that's when you're Daniel, by the way, that's a good thing because now the king's not going to kill you because you just said how great he is, right? Yeah, you're the head of gold. You're, you know, you're not the feet, you know, or the or the, or the butt. You know, right? you're the head of gold. Um, and uh, so uh, no problem. Okay, uh, uh, good. Uh, and then he says, but there'll be three kingdoms after you, right? And um, uh, and, and and the fourth king and the, these three kings after you, they'll all be destroyed by the stone that's cut without without human hands. Right. Well, what Daniel goes on to, to say is that is that this this that that's the dream. Let me tell you about its interpretation. What he says about the interpretation is is that the dream is and the vision that, that I'm telling you about is about the end of time, about about when things are going to end. Here, I'm I'm opening up my scriptures as I speak here um, to cite it here. I'm gonna have to pull out my glasses so I can probably read it because it's it, it is evening when we're doing this, and now I have to find out where I put my glasses. Uh, there they are. Um, so it's Daniel two. The first phrase is Daniel two twenty eight. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days or, or in the last days. Right. That phrase occurs several times in this, uh, in this passage. I think the very next verse, he's, he, yeah, he's, made, he's made known to you what will take place uh, on there. But then if you skip down to Daniel chapter 2, verse uh, 45, at the end of the verse, it says, uh, he's made known to the king what will take place in the future. So Daniel has what will take place in the last days, what will take place in the last days, and then what will take place in the future. Right? If you match that up with the Greek of, of, uh, of Revelation chapter 1, you'll see that John's actually quoting what will take place in, but instead of saying the latter days, he adds the word shortly. Hmm. Right? And words, what will take place shortly or quickly. All right? um, so what John's saying, and the best way to read it, of course, is to say, that what Daniel says is going to happen in the future, John's saying is taking place now. Uh, in other words, the, the quickly can be interpreted as uh, like it's going to happen soon, or quickly could be a reference to um, the duration of it. Uh, and most likely, John's using it in the sense that of it's, it's happening soon, um, and that happening soon has already actually begun, um, especially when you read Revelation chapter one now and you realize that the key evidence of what starts it all is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, and as we go a little just, bit further in the book of, of go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say uh, before, before it's moving on, is this similar? And, and I'm just throwing this out there. So I, yeah. you could push back on this. Is this similar how uh, in Acts chapter two, how Peter interprets yes. uh, Joel chapter two and in, in, in the, day of the Lord language. And whereas in day, day of the Lord language of Joel two, it's in, in uh, the later days. Or no, uh, how does Joel does Joel say in the, in, in the last days? In the last, yeah, and then and then and, and that's how Peter's interpreting it 
as like in light of the Christ event, especially in light of what we just witnessed in the resurrection <laughs> or the ascension. Yeah. Uh, now look at these other things that are happening. Like we, we could we could uh, read uh, a fancy word Christocentrically. We we could read Christ at the center of the Joel story in a sense. Yeah. And so John is basically saying the same thing. Like we can read Jesus at the center of the Daniel story right now. That, that's right. That's why John changes that last phrase. So what will take place in the last days becomes what will take place quickly. Mm -hmm. So he, he, he simply, he's, he's literally quoting, and, and if you look at, and I'll show you the document for, for your eyes only later on, that I, where you're comparing the Greek of Daniel to uh, three different verses. I think it's 228, 229, and 245, or whatever that verse was um, there, um, 45. All right, with Revelation chapter one, and you see John's taken that identical phrase, and it's in Revelation one, it's also in Revelation 22, and he simply changed the last word of it from, in the, or the last part of it from in the last days to quickly. And you, and you realize, oh, why? Because the last days are happening now in line of the Christ event. And, and the key evidence in the book of Revelation that the Christ event is the catalytic event that begins it all is the fact that the lamb is worthy to open the scroll, right? In Revelation, Revelation chapter five, five, because he was slain. All right. So in other words, what happens now is taking place because the lamb was slain. And of course, we know the significance of the lamb that was slain is the fact that he's also alive. I saw a lamb as if he was slain because, well, he's actually alive, but he was dead. And so that becomes the key that the Christ event, most notably the death and resurrection of Jesus, is what begins it all. Which is so, even something that is uh, not even hinted at. It's explained in the, the last of the letters in chapter three. Yeah, uh, you know the the one who conquers, I will grant grant with him to sit on my throne as I also conquered, <laughs> right? as I also like, overcame. Yeah, yeah, yeah conquered, overcame. Yeah. So, well, how did you do that? <laughs> right, you know, it, was, it was by death. So that, it, that's it's right, by military victory. And in, in fact, Revelation five says, "I saw a lamb that was. I, I, I heard the lion has overcome, mm -hmm. but I saw a lamb that was slain. How, well, how did you overcome by being the lamb that was slain? That 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 that, that that's your key. That's right." Okay. Yep. So, so speaking of keys, then what are some of the keys that will help us understand the book of Revelation? If, it, if it's not John seeing this crazy image of nuclear warfare and things in the future that he just had no paradigm for, so he had to describe it in other ways. Um, if it's not John looking at the future, what is it then? How do we, how do we understand, uh, what are the interpretive keys to understanding Revelation? Well, there'll be a number of them, right? First off is you have to understand the, the context of the first century world in which John was writing. Um, and so, uh, and, that, and that has implications on, and we'll get into some of that uh, uh, the, the further we go. All right, who's, who's the writer? To whom is he writing? All right, John's writing, whoever John might be, right? And that could be disputed, but we, he calls himself John. That makes it easy for us. So it, we know it's John, which John it is might be disputed. All right, likely writing in, in late first century, and, and it could be, mid to late first century, but I, I tend to prefer a date in the 80s or 90s. Um, and then what's the situation in these churches that's, uh, that's happening? So we have to know the historical, cultural, Roman, Greco-Roman context. Um, but first thing that we would begin with is the fact that this, this is all about Jesus. It really is. It begins and ends with Jesus, uh, the resurrected, glorified Jesus and, and who he is. And so the nice thing about saying it that way is the fact that no matter what our view of the book of Revelation is, whether it's about the past, the present, or the future, or all of the above, we can kind of all agree on this one, that Jesus is the glorified, risen Lord of all creation, the God of the creator God, 
who had died on, uh, on the cross and rose again for our salvation and sits enthroned in heaven, ruling over his people, right? No problem, we can all uh, agree on that. The second key would be the fact that uh, the imagery is not John looking into the future, but John clearly looking into the, into the, uh, the Christ event in light of the past. Um, so uh, I did a study of, the book of, of uh, the book of Isaiah just recently. And one of the things I said about uh, in that study is, uh, Isaiah might be talking about things to come, right? This great restoration of the nation of Israel. But when Isaiah talks about the restoration, he's going to talk about it in this Egypt language, right? In this Exodus language, because that's kind of all he really knows. Now it's, when was God's people suffering under uh, oppression? Oh, well, we all know the stories our, our fathers and, and forefathers taught us and mothers taught us um, about uh, Egyptian slavery. And then we know about Moses liberating them. So when Isaiah describes the Israelites suffering under Assyrian uh, bondage, he's going to describe it like Egypt, Egyptian bondage. And when he's going to describe the liberation, right, he's going to describe it in terms of the Exodus. And so John's doing the same thing. The language of the book of Revelation is just, is just coated with all this Old Testament imagery, looking at it, however, through the lens of Jesus. Um, and that becomes the, the point of its fulfillment. Now, that becomes difficult for a lot of, a, a lot of our people in our congregations, right? Because that's, let's just be honest. You can up, almost, up, open up almost any book of the Old Testament, and they don't know almost anything about it. Um, and, and it's difficult for us, too. I'm a, I'm a New Testament scholar, so I have to admit, I go to the Old Testament, I'm like, okay, I got to review a little bit before I can kind of get into this book here. here. Um, but those would be the first two keys, well, the, the, the first three keys. The first century context in which it was written, understanding it in light of the Christ event, and then and understanding the imagery as deriving from the Old Testament, but having a fulfillment in light of Christ that may also have a futureness, a, to, a future element to it also, right? So does that help? No, I, I think that is helpful. And I know for me, once I started, when I personally started hearing those sorts of concepts, I actually struggled with that uh, because I, I, I probably heard that before hearing you teach on that. I, okay. It, 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 I don't know, it, it was around the same time, right? Where maybe you affirm something I heard from someone else, or maybe I heard it first from you. Um, no, I, I actually heard it from someone else first because I heard it more in a theological context. Okay. Yeah. It, 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 so it was done more from a, a the millennium and, and that sort of thing, right? Yeah. Uh, because I actually, you were probably the first person who exposed me to just getting into the book itself and kind of stripping it from having to make it a jigsaw puzzle and having to make it fit with the rest of the Bible. Yeah. And, uh, and so I remember when I heard this sort of thing from more of a theological construct, it really kind of wrecked me because I didn't even know that there was different ways of looking at this this topic in this concept whether it's eschatology or revelation itself it uh i know for me because i had many trusted uh pastors and people who i had listened to who held more of the popular view hearing anything else just kind of wrecked me in a sense where mm -hmm. it was almost like well who can i trust now right, right, this guy right. deceived uh and so it's helpful for me to go back to those times, especially yep. when I talk about this topic in public, recognizing that you can never pull the rug out from underneath someone yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. without giving them a place to land and recognizing that, hey, there are you know many different ways that we could go about reading this book. We're, we're not going to say that they're all valid because we would both agree that, hey, some are just better than others. Mm -hmm. um, but there does need to be a sense of charity when we look at these. Yes. Uh, and, and to always remembering that. So what you and I are not doing is bashing other things or, or bashing no, no. other views and, and recognizing that like, hey, there are some, you know, 
legitimate brothers and sisters in the Lord who we would say, hey, we, we get that there's a different perspective out there. We can still share the Lord's Supper together. <laughs> you know, like that, that sure, sure. Identify that. Sure. Let, let me let me bring this uh, bring this kind of back to where you where you start though. So part of my story is the fact that I'm a little older than you, right? Mm-hmm. So I was born in six to sixty six. I always yeah. tell people now, it's like yeah, six six six. All right. Um, uh, the irony of that. But nonetheless, uh, I grew up in the seventies and eighties, and I was told by Hal Lindsey and Grant Jeffries all these things that were going to happen in the state of Israel. And 1948 was, was a f- f- fulfillment of prophecy. The state of Israel was founded in 1948. That 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 means it had to happen by 1988 because the generation is 40 years. Oh, this it was really obvious that we were on this time clock and so now you begin to okay that means this armageddon as this popular understanding uh, of armageddon that's about to happen so the russians are going to invade israel and then all of a sudden the 1980s kind of came along and remember how Lindsay wrote a book called uh, um i'm not sure if actually it was how Lindsay, uh another one of the popular writers they wrote armageddon 1980 and, and the last number was a question mark mm-hmm. so it was, it was armageddon was going to happen in 1980 something we just don't know which year in 1980s it's going to happen but as the 1980s group came along all of a sudden began realizing, wait a minute, we're farther and farther and farther away from Armageddon because, and by the time we got to 1989, the Berlin Wall fell, communism was in shambles, the Russians couldn't even feed their own army, let alone invade Israel. And, and I became totally disillusioned. I, I came to the, so one of the things that happened to me with this popular understanding is the fact that I actually was totally disillusioned. Now, I look at it as a moment of grace that where the Lord said to me, okay, you might be disillusioned about this, but I'm going to keep you in the faith. And I, was, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't disillusioned about Jesus. I was just disillusioned about what everybody told me Revelation meant. And I came to conclude that no one knows what the book of Revelation means. All these guys have different ideas. They're all obviously wrong because everything they've told me for the last 15 years of my life now um, has none of it's happened. Um, we, we, don't have, we don't have nuclear warfare. We don't have the Russians invading Israel. All right. So I became totally disillusioned. Then all of a sudden, I started getting into, you know, graduate studies and, you know, uh, eventually a PhD in, in, in uh, biblical interpretation and realized, okay, that, you know, there are 27 books in the New Testament. You have to, you have to include the last one if you're going to have a PhD in biblical interpretation and in New Testament studies. And I began, I said, okay, well, let me do this. Let me go ahead and, and open up a, a popular commentary series, a scholarly, popular scholarly commentary series that I've used for almost every other book of the New Testament. Uh, and if you're familiar with uh, commentaries, it's the New International Commentary in the New Testament series. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved it back in the 80s and stuff. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce was, was mm-hmm. a very influential in my teachings, and he was one of the editors of the series. And so I thought, okay, let me open up the NICNT, New International Commentary on the New Testament, um, ver, uh, volume on the book, and see what it says. And I began reading, and I'm like, hey, and, and, and that volume, by the way, is a little bit more futuristic still than, than where I am actually at now. But at the same time, I was very scholarly, and it, and, it, and, it, and it says, hey, this is what the text is about. This is the first century world. This is the message of the book. I'm like, hey, this is fantastic. This is this is fa- it's about Jesus and about the church being the, the being the arm and the witness of Jesus and the and bearing t- and following the Lamb wherever He takes us and uh, and and enduring suffering at the sake of the world, just like Christ endured. Su- and I began realizing, hey, this message is powerful. Wow! And especially the church in, in, in many countries of the world where they are suffering persecution. This is written to a, a community of people undergoing persecution or about to undergo persecution. And, and as a means of encouraging them to hang in there and be faithful, uh, this is, and, and, I, and I looked at the footnotes and I'm going, and all the scholars are agreeing with this guy. I mean, okay, some differ, this, some differ here and there. And I began to say, okay, wait a minute. And so I, that just, I, I began to, okay, let's, let's, let's step back a little bit and, and start over again. And I began realizing this has an incredibly powerful message of the church, the church then and the church now. And that is 
Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again for your salvation, that we might be his, the, the means to which uh, God builds his kingdom. And now you go out and make him known. I mean, think about it. The churches are called lampstands in chapters two and three. And lampstands means we are what the light stands on. So go out there and be the means to which the light is made known to the world. Oh, and guess what? What happens when that happens? To, when you do that, you're going to suffer just like Jesus did. But the one who, you know, the gospel of Mark says, the one who perseveres to the end will be saved. Or Matthew says that as well. Yeah. Um, and, and so I begin around, oh, this is, this is an intensely powerful message for the church. So sure, we can say, yeah, there's futuristic elements to it, right? There's the second coming in chapter 19. Uh, and you can maybe say, you know, the, 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 the millennium's future, whatever, that, whatever. Okay. But we can't escape the message to the church now that it's not about um, um, prosperity. It's about making Jesus known. And when you make Jesus known, you might very well suffer for that. Uh, maybe go one more step here. I'm talking for a little while about, uh, on this one. But, and that is, it's about being an alternative kind of kingdom to the kingdoms of the world. And that's exactly what the gospels are all about. That's exactly what Paul's all about. Being an alternative type of kingdom than the kingdoms of the world. And that's problematic uh, when, you, when you start flushing out that, what that means in terms of living that out for, for the sake of the world. But doing so knowing that there is this ultimate reward for the faithful, for the faithfulness of God's people. You know, Rob, so much of what you're saying right now, you're making it sound like the majority of revelation actually has application for the church today. Uh, All of revelation has, a, right, has application for the church today, which is the, the way you popularly, popularly, that's a weird way of putting it together. Popularly. Yeah. Maybe if it was later or earlier in the day, I could say that word. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the way you put it together is it's look at what we get it's almost like having a balcony view yeah yeah everything else that's going to happen and oh we don't have to deal with that stuff look at it's just like you're watching a movie or something right because we're going to get zapped out of here and we don't have to deal with any of the gnarly stuff that's in the book um one of my friends who's a pastor he has a saying and he he says um your destination will inform your preparation and so if you're going into to the snow you don't bring a surfboard and if you're going to the beach you don't bring snowshoes <laughs> and uh and and he uses that as a way when when he's teaching through something like revelation uh to to let us know like hey this is actually telling us something for and it's informing us how we ought to live yes uh not just because jesus is going to come back anytime and uh it, kind of like that notion where it's just like it, it could just happen anytime so be moral uh which i think is uh, oftentimes it becomes like a moralism or a behavior yeah right 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 but it's actually like what you're saying is like no stuff is actually going to get gnarly and you should expect it to be bad uh, it shouldn't shock us when we actually have to go through trials and tribulations uh no we don't we don't get a ticket out of here like it, exactly. and, and this like even talking about practical things one of the biggest things that I think in my context in the church context is dealing with is an American church right now who truly feels like they're persecuted. And it's not that they're <laughs> yeah, I know, like I know. weird things happening and, and, and culture is changing and all that. We have a democratic president. Clearly we're persecuted. No, absolutely. Right. <laughs> Sorry. And, you know, and, and, and that's like, because when you've been sold this bill of it's just going to be easy any little resistance you're going to experience anytime is going to feel like it's the end of the world. Yeah. And it's interesting. We, at, at our church, we just brought on a new uh, pastor uh, earlier in the year and he, he actually, he, he and his wife served as missionaries in China for about mm. 15 years. And they were literally in a situation where they were told one day a, a couple of years ago, like you have 24 hours 
to get out of the country because it, like they're going to come and arrest you guys uh and and they they had to they had to flee their they had kids they just it's like hey kids you know young kids under 10 years old like take what you can in this box and this is mm-hmm. all this is china's all you've ever known and we're, and we're splitting when, when i asked him about that like hey where is this at on the persecution level he was like oh that was like at a two <laughs> you know and so for for folks for folks who live outside of yeah. our immediate context they just seem to have a much realer understanding of what persecution is where I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, well, he didn't die, but man, <laughs> like he's really going through the ringer and he's like, yeah, this is nothing. <laughs> you right. know, and, and, and just, so just kind of resetting the bar in terms of the expectation for what the Christian should expect in life uh, from a biblical uh, framework, uh, not from what we've been told. Uh, Cause we, we have well-meaning pastors and, and, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not throwing them under the bus. I'm part right. of the local church. You believe strongly in, in what the church brings. And so we're not advocating at all for uh, separation or anything like that. It's just, we are also products of our environment. We're products of the people we respect. And how often do we just hear something repeated and assume that that's true? Right. Um, rather than actually challenging it and realizing that like, hey, well-meaning people could be wrong on stuff. And, and this is probably yeah. an area where the church needs to take it a lot more uh, serious, uh, especially when it comes to the expectation of the Christian life and how comfortable that should be or should not be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, you know, my book, Understand the New Testament in the End Times, you know, the subtitle is Why It Matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think it matters so significantly on uh, and and we're going to delve into this a lot more as we continue on this on the, on, the, on the in this series. Um, if you think the Book of Revelation is only about the future, and if you think that that it, that it means okay, bummer for the world if they don't believe in Jesus, you better repent now because look what's coming your way. Um, but good for me, I'm going to be at least raptured out of here. Um, it leads to this complacency. It leads to apathy. It leads to uh, um, uh, almost. Um, uh, an animosity towards the world, like, oh, you guys deserve the, the you know, and it makes God this, um, it can make God um, a, a wrathful, vengeful God, which mm-hmm. I think conflicts with obviously the, the description of God in the scriptures. Whereas if you begin to realize that the scriptures, the entire te- text from Genesis through the book of Revelation is this calling of God's people to be God's people, to be the people of God, uh, to be his image bearers and to make him known. There's this missional call there. And the, rea- the reality of that is, oh, and guess what? The world won't like that because making God known means proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. And when you proclaim Jesus is Lord in the first century, Caesar ain't going to like that because Caesar thinks he's Lord. Uh, but when you proclaim Jesus is Lord in, in our churches, right? To you, right, the reality is, I don't always like that because I like being Lord myself sometimes. Mm-hmm. I like my power, my wealth, my, what, my security, my comfort. And so the gospel, and, and so we don't have to go to the book of Revelation for this. We can go to the gospel of Mark. If you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. And, and I think cross-bearing life of following of Jesus has been left out of Christianity for a long time in, in the American church and in, in the Western, outside the Western world. Um, and um, I think that leads to all kinds of problems. Yeah, a, a, a term that um, I know you're buddies with Michael Gorman, and I, I was—I uh, want to say buddies, but well, I know Michael. Yeah, you Gorman. know, yeah. yeah. I, I, right. I, I'm, 
I know him via his words. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and so we had to read uh, his his work yep. on Paul uh, in one of my New Testament classes. Yep. And that was the first time I was introduced to the term cruciform. Cruciformity. Yeah. Yeah. Phenomenal. And and he just he uses that term so often that it. Yep. It's like this is actually such a powerful term, the brevity of it, and just how much it packs a punch in terms of everything that that word uh, in, entails. And what, is there a more applicable word no. that the, the Christian ought to use and view themselves through? Right. And let's make sure if you're listening here, the word cruciformity, he's, he made up this word essentially, right? I don't, I don't know if anybody that said it before, Michael. What it suggests is being formed into the way of the cross, right? Which is exactly what Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. We're, we're, we're being formed in the image of Jesus, and I think for many of us, in, in, in my experience, this is, I'll just speak from my context, many of the Christians that I know and the churches that I know and been a part of, what that means is being nice, being a good person, loving your neighbor, and being, you said it earlier, being moralistic. Um, but, it, but Jesus said, no, it means following me by being crucified, crucified to self, and crucified to the ways of the world, right? You know, John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. Because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Um, and I'll, I don't know about you, Vinny, but I, that's a struggle for me every single day. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a struggle for our churches because as far as I can tell, the American church doesn't look a whole lot different from the American culture mm -hmm. in almost any, every single way. Um, and we've justified that in all kinds of ways. And that's something that we'll, we'll get into later as well. But I think we've got to get back to it. And the book of Revelation is this writing to say, let me encourage you by reminding you that I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. Uh, see, if you take the way of the cross, it's okay. Because if you overcome, I'm, you're going to sit down with me on, on my throne, just like I sat down with my father on his throne. Oh, and so um, and we'll finish it up with this. Uh, I'm writing a chapter for a book right now. I don't actually know a whole lot about the book and, and, and whatever else it is. I just know I've been assigned a chapter. Uh, and my chapter, which is due, I think, at the end of this week, uh, so it's, it's, it's uh, crunch time for me, my chapter is Hope in the Book of Revelation. Right? And, and when I first got it, I thought, wow, gosh, where are you going to find? And I'm like, where are you going to find hope in the book? And I'm like, no, the whole thing's about whole hope. Thing is, yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's what it's all about. It's the, it's the whole thing. It's a softball. But, but, but I initially was thinking of, from this futuristic context that I think that we were, that we, that we grew up with in, it's not a whole, there's not a whole lot of hope in it other than, well, someday I'll get raptured out of here. But when you realize, no, the whole book is saying you can hang in there and you can endure because I hung in there and they crucified me, but I rose again. Mm -hmm. And if they do that to you, guess what? You'll right. You'll rise again as well. So basically you're saying you should follow the lamb wherever he goes. That's, you know, I should, we should write a book and title it, Follow the Lamb. So I was actually just going to say, as, as we are wrapping this up and, and someone is maybe they've, they've been intimidated. They've not wanted to study the book of Revelation. I, I, I come across this all the time when I, when I teach, uh, you know, hermeneutics, biblical interpretation, where people are scared of this book. I've had people literally not come to the class that deals with the book of Revelation because they're, they grew up in a fire and brimstone. Yep. Uh, there's, there's like legitimate PTSD surrounding this book, yes, right? Yes. So some, someone has listened to this podcast for the last 43 minutes and said, okay, you got me. You've, you've 
you've challenged me. I'm willing to go outside my comfort zone. I'll read the book, but I don't, or I just read it and I don't know what to do with this thing. Right, right. <laughs> what, what are some of the tangible steps someone could take uh, in terms, in terms of uh, looking at some other, like I'll plug your book for you, follow the lamb, a guide to reading, understanding and applying the book of revelation. Like, I, I just think that's a fantastic uh, book that when I, I'm going to, I'm scheduled to teach through this at a couple of years at my church. Uh, in mm. a Sunday school environment, like this is going to be one of the the books that we, you know, use as a, uh, uh, you know, just as a help. W what are some of the other things that you think help at the layperson level, especially? Um, well, you're going to have to get something to help you guide, to guide you through it, right? Because A, we probably take too much baggage with us and it's probably impossible to get rid of that baggage and read Revelation any other way. Um, B, um, it, it is apocalyptic and we don't know how to deal with apocalyptic, which we'll do in a, probably in our next podcast, right? Well, what, 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 what's an apocalypse and what does apocalyptic mean? Which by the way, I would say as a hint to our next podcast, uh, guess what? Almost all the New Testament is apocalyptic or a lot, large, not all of it, but large portions of it are. And in fact, Jesus' parables were almost always apocalyptic. Um, so we, we have to have some kind of guides to help help us through it, whether it's my book or, or others, you know, and Michael Gorman has a great book, Reading Revelation Responsibly, and maybe we'll put in the show notes some, mm -hmm. some links to some other kind of good books. Uh, you know, I did a podcast on the same, on the same link here, uh, where I went through each chapter in the book of Revelation one chapter at a time. So it's about 20 something odd podcasts. Uh, there's a couple of times where I doubled up and a couple of times where I maybe did two podcasts on one chapter. And, and they're all 20 minutes long. It's not like I'm going to spend an hour you know, verse by, because I think that's more, it's not as helpful. So in 20 minutes, here's Revelation chapter one. Okay, now go read it and, and, and see what you can do with it. So um, th those are places to start with. And then the next thing would be just to simply go, okay, now learn to read the book of Revelation in light of the New Testament and in, in light of, hey, okay. I, I, and so let's kind of, we'll do some more podcasts in the, in our, just you and I together here in the next couple of weeks. Um, to kind of help them go, go some next steps. But that's kind of where I would, I would say start with uh, a good source to kind of help you introduce you to it um, and then and get a foundation for where you can then go read it on your own uh, and, then, and then go read it on your own. I, I'm uh, Shayla and I right now are in the process of buying a new car. So we had like, there's no cars in America right now. So you have to like, we had to order it. And so it's, it's mm. going to be shipped here and I'm, this is going somewhere by the way. Okay. <laughs> but uh, so we're getting a new Toyota Highlander. Okay. We're excited about, and wouldn't you believe it? There's Toyota Highlanders everywhere now when I'm driving around town. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, they've all popped up. It's because I'm looking for it. Right. That, that's if, right. If, you know, assuming someone is going to maybe read some of these other helps and they're going to actually read through revelation. Um, but like you talked about the baggage that they're bringing to it, what's a way they could correct that baggage? What are the, what are the things that they could look for? What's the Toyota Highlander in revelation that they should be looking for? Uh, what would John be, what was John saying to his readers and what did he want them to think or to do? Um, if we can get to that question, uh, and answer that question and it's hard, it'll be difficult at times. And sometimes that'll be easy. Um, so, uh, then I think that, that, that becomes the, 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 the nugget that begins to unlock the doors. Very good. So it's not. Yeah. How does this play out in the future? It's what's John is say, trying to say to them then. And and, and that's what you do with Ephesians though, right? Exactly. That's what you yeah. do with every other book of the, of, of the scriptures. Yeah. And it, we should do that with, with Isaiah too, right? We should do that with any of the prophets because you begin to realize, oh, Isaiah was actually talking to the people of his day. Yeah. Wasn't just looking forward 700 years to the, to, to the Christ event.
Yeah. And if it didn't mean anything to them, like you said, how are they supposed, how are they going to be blessed to obey it when they, they literally have no concept of what he's talking about? It's kind of an empty right. blessing, right? Absolutely. All right. Hey, thanks Vinny for this time. Uh, we want to thank all of you for joining us tonight uh, or from this morning or whatever time of day it is for, uh, you were listening and that you were edified by this. I hope that you'll subscribe to the, to the uh, determined truth podcast. Uh, and find us on any uh, anywhere you find your podcasts. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please subscribe to and like our podcast. You can follow Rob's blog at determinedtruth.com or purchase his books on amazon.com. See you next time.